1: Here on For The Record today, my name's Maya Villick and I'm speaking with fast-rising North Carolina singer-songwriter Indigo D'Souza, whose record Any Shape You Take is probably up there in one of my top two albums of the year simply because I refuse to choose between uh, favourites in children. But her emotional rage-charge depictions of early 20-dom, breaking up, making up, loss and more are just... Unlike anything, I've had the pleasure of listening to this year and it's really incredible to be able to speak with Indigo right now, right here with you to talk about any shape of you. So welcome, Indigo.
0: Thank you. Um,
1: I want to start from the beginning, essentially. You've grown up in a small conservative town in North Carolina called Spruce Pine, Your mum's a visual artist, your dad's a bossa nova guitarist. I read that you began playing guitar at nine and then were writing songs at age 11. What was your musical upbringing like? Did you discover much from your parents or from friends around you? Were you different to what other people around you were listening to? Uh, And how did those seeds manifest themselves on any shape you take?
0: Yeah, it's hard to know how those things manifested really, because it all just feels like it happened very naturally. But um, when I was young, I only had a few records. I had like an Elliott Smith record and a Mumford and Sons record and a Frank Sinatra record. And my mom listened to Lucinda Williams and Sarah McLachlan. I listened to a lot of Jack Johnson and Regina Spector. Those were like, they were they were my heroes when I was really young. Um, and also I just grew up, the town I grew up in, um, a lot of people played bluegrass and country music. Um, like my guitar teacher was uh, mainly a country musician when I was nine. Uh, I only learned from her for about a year. And then I started learning from YouTube after that. But, yeah, I don't really know how it happened. I think like I just listened to like a pretty small variety of things before I left Spruce Pine. And then when I left Spruce Pine, everything became much broader. And I realized that there was underground music in the world, which I hadn't realized before. Um, and I just became really inspired by a lot of like new musician friends I made in my new city.
1: Mm-hmm. What uh, informed that decision to move all the way from Spruce spruce Pine? Well, I guess it wasn't really all the way. It's only an hour away, but still (laughs) moving to a big place like Asheville, a massive city, um, and also from what I understand is one of the most expensive cities to live in in North Carolina. What made you decide to move to Asheville at 16, no less? um, And what was that decision? you mentioned you came across underground music. Did you discover a new community that you came to I guess kind of run with essentially? Um, well, mainly it was just that the town
0: I lived in Spruce Pine was really limiting for me creative, creatively and also like uh just emotionally limiting. <laughs> and um I also uh my mom and I took care of my my grandfather at the time who lived with us because he had dementia. And it had only been about a year of that when I was 16. And it had been like a really confusing um, time for everyone. And it wasn't it just felt like it wasn't the best space for me. And I wasn't able to grow and take up enough space. Um, So I think yeah, it was kind of like, as much my mom's decision as it was mine. We, we both just kind of agreed that I needed to move on to something bigger um, musically and emotionally. So yeah, I, I then moved into a little house in Asheville with my sister. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was the best decision that probably could have been made for me in my life because so much changed after that. Um, but yeah, I, I then, I just met um, some new i made new friends in asheville who showed me all this music that was just like grungier and grittier and dirtier than stuff i'd heard before and also that like didn't really have a big following but was really good um which i actually didn't i didn't know that that existed i thought it was just like there were all these famous people in the world and then just people who are not famous and that i didn't think there was anything in between because i was just a child
1: (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah no, I've, I've been there. In In my mind, I'm kind of imagining it to be a bit like San Francisco. Is that how you would describe what Asheville's like? Oh, I actually don't really
0: know much about San Francisco. I've only been there once and uh, our van got broken into. When we
1: were there. <laughs> oh, no. That's all I remember about it. <laughs> I guess what I mean is this sort of more free-spirited city where there are a lot of creatives who um, set up shops, set up um, their homes. There are There's a big um, community of musicians, artists, people across the city who are either making events happen or, or things like that, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of that. Um, there's a lot of that,
0: but then there's also a lot of, like, unhealthy development also. Just, like, uh, yeah, the big guy has really taken over, all the stuff that was you know started out cool and they're trying to like capitalize on it um but there also are a lot of um secret amazing communities in Asheville that you might not see if you were just passing through as a tourist
1: yeah right are you still based there now yeah I live
0: just outside of Asheville still
1: cute 94.5. into the record you're on tour right now how are people receiving it
0: um it's yeah it's been really beautiful everyone yeah and i can't even explain how like warm and fun all the shows have been so far and um i was really nervous to go on this tour Um, Because I just didn't, everything about touring during COVID times is so different Mm. than it was before, so I was worried about the change, but it has been just like so welcoming and wonderful, and I can feel that everyone has been needing this experience so much, like all of my bandmates and also um, everyone who comes to the shows,
1: it's been really special. Is Brad with you on tour? Has so he extended his production duties to playing live in your band? Who? Brad Cook.
0: Oh no no no! Brad is not on tour with us. My dog is on tour with us though. Which oh is cool. cute! What kind of dog do you have? Um, he's like a, a black um, golden retriever and lab oh. mix.
1: <laughs> Beautiful. Um, I guess yeah. the reason why I mentioned Brad, and for anyone listening, uh, a regular collaborator of Waxahachi and Bon Iver, Brad Cook and Indigo, you have a pretty long-standing musical relationship, I understand, and co-produced this record together. Given that your first album was not only uh, pretty much home studio recorded and very diy and any shape you take that really hi-fi studio experience what was that process of recording this record like and especially being able to dip into a more um, I don't want to say official but a totally different and maybe more detailed studio space Mm -hmm.
0: yeah the studio experience was so different from the first album for sure I just had many more resources and lots of fun toys to play with and um, electronic stuff to try out and um, and also just many more people on hand that were working on the album too and people to bounce ideas off of and collaborate with. Um, yeah, I mean, it was insane, it was just like the total opposite end of the spectrum um, from the experience of recording I Love My Mom. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm really happy with it. I really liked um, creating like a very high fi but also lo-fi sound.
1: Hmm. So I take it you weren't apprehensive about heading into a studio space. I know some artists and some people find them not only intimidating, but I guess maybe to open a space where you allow a lot more people to feel like they have a chance to comment on the creative process. Yeah,
0: I don't know. I'm just kind of open to anything in my life. I'm open to trying anything and um, not really. I don't feel like I'm afraid of much when it comes to, yeah, just my my creative space. Um, I trust myself to, uh, in the end, kind of um, come up with what is true to me. So, no matter who's working on it.
1: <laughs> Good attitude to have. <laughs> um, I wanted to speak to you in particular about this one quote you said where. More so, you've mentioned how this album and your debut, I Love My Mum, are companion pieces. How would you describe or articulate that overarching narrative or or story on any shape you take? It feels a bit rudimentary um, in my eyes to just pin it down to it's just a heartbreak album or it's just a breakup record because I think those stories almost always aren't about, you know, this young girl, bright-eyed, whose world gets turned upside down because someone's dumped her or she's broken up with this guy, but rather uh, tell the story of this incredible, like, personal journey and coming to change and finding new parts of yourself that you didn't know existed. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think this album is really just about change within myself and also... Allowing change within other people, and yeah, I think I just kind of was sitting with the idea that change and loss and grief are just like the most painful things that we have to deal with as people. And there, I am always like trying to find the most graceful way to face those things and to process them and actually be present with them. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that making music is like part of that for me, that um, making this album was like a, a catharsis for me and a way to process everything that I've shifted through within my life so far. And in doing so, I'm offering a space for other people to do that, too.
1: To scream and rage and to sing their lungs yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you definitely have a way of making those feelings feel incredibly universal and with actually very little detail uh, whatsoever with necessarily the circumstance that's um, maybe happened or hasn't happened that you've taken inspiration from and turned it into a song, which is not an easy thing to do. And I think on top of that, given how you... That, like the vocal range that you use, the tone, your ability to just have an absolute blast of fun experimenting. No two songs on this album sound exactly the same. When you hear comparisons to yourself and, and your name, quite literally your name in the sentence of Indigo De Souza, rising artist, has that been really weird to kind of reconcile with? um
0: yeah (laughs) yeah i mean it's just like really hard to process um because yeah i don't know it's strange to just be like a person your whole life and then you've and you've been doing something your whole life that you really care about and that means so much to you and then people are starting to notice that you're doing that thing and care about it and try to support you in that space to continue doing it and um yeah i'm just really grateful that i get to do this as a job it's i just because any other job that i've ever tried hasn't has not made any sense to me i've never been able to feel okay doing another job so it's really special that i can do the thing that i feel most fulfilled doing.
1: (laughs) when pain is real I remember when I first showed your record to a friend of mine, she pressed play and was like, whoa, okay, I don't know if I'm going to be into this. And I had to plead with her, like, stick around. I promise you it's going to be worth it. Um, Because the autotune, I think, is almost intentional on the first track. You're singing about, um, I guess, like, growing up and leaving the person or the the young person you were before um, with lines like, this is the way I'm going to bend now that the baby's gone. Was the autotune intentional? I think it's almost... This might sound a bit um, over the top, but I think it's almost a bit poetic how intentionally childlike and adolescent the vocals sound on a track that happens to be called Seventeen.
0: Oh, yeah. I've never thought about it that way. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I've never thought about it that way, but that's really cool. I um, Seventeen was because um, we play it totally different when we do it live um, but that recording on the album is based off of the first demo I ever made of Seventeen which was um, I made it probably like five years ago at this point so it's like a very old demo and um, we were going to record it the way that we play it live but then I played everyone the demo just to see if we could pull any ideas from it and we everyone liked that version more so we just basically copied that demo and I think I was just playing around with the auto-tune <laughs> stuff. It was just fun. So it it just, yeah, for me, it just felt like a perfect opener for the album to just um, kind of give people something that's totally different from the rest of the album right off the bat.
1: Mm. Um, then you have tracks like Darker Than Death and Pretty Pictures that are so visibly... I, I mentioned you had very little detail included in terms of specific story in your music but these two songs in particular I think really say it all from the lines on Darker Than Death. Was it something I said you left me crushed which makes me feel like you're in the middle of being dumped Um, and Pretty Pictures which has I guess a bit of a like 80s Springsteen kick to it that speaks to that idea of Really want to, trying to really wanting to try and make things work but essentially coming to the realisation of, you know, if you've broken a piece of glass or plate and you try and glue it together, those cracks are still going to be there. Did you, in in writing those two songs, it, you can see very quickly from the beginning you were, like, coming to that realisation of, okay, this there's been some sort of relationship breakdown and I need to move on from it. But then there's almost this back and forth with the rest of the album of wrestling with that idea. Mm.
0: Yeah, I don't know. When I when I wrote pretty pictures, I I was really just kind of um, marinating on the idea that uh, that you can break up with someone and still be their friend and still be in their lives and you don't have to shift completely out of their life just because you're not romantic with them anymore. And yeah, like at the time, I was just going through a breakup with someone who was like my best friend and I didn't want to stop being best friends. And um, I was just kind of thinking about how beautiful it is that breakups aren't always ugly and how beautiful and how also really sad and how common it is for breakups to often just be this kind of mundane thing. Like, oh, this just doesn't work out. We can't be romantic partners. but. There's no hard feelings, and I still want you to like have the best life that you can, and be happy, and find someone who makes you happy.
1: Mm. Oh, and what a way to look at it! Everybody needs to know that it's going to be okay in a breakup. <laughs> <laughs> um, then you have a track though, like real pain, which I guess is quite specifically where that Phoebe Bridges comparison comes in. It's got a very similar incredible powerful and just moving effect as the closer on her album Punisher does um it's it's almost like megalomaniac maniac there's, there's megalomania going on here there's as much detail as like a Sufjan Stevens track and then just out of nowhere this like screaming wall tornado of sound just snaps like a string and you pull us back into consciousness as if you've reached a moment of realization you have a thing for jump scares
0: (laughs) um yeah I don't know I have a thing for transitions I really like um transitions and how powerful they can be yeah
1: I guess definitely none other than more than on um real pain for sure yeah yeah that track was really
0: fun to make um all of those, like, screens were um, pulled from my followers um, or listeners. And, yeah, it feels really special
1: because they all got to be involved. How many of those recordings did you end up um, collecting? Uh, I think I think there were about 60.
0: And all of them. I used every single one.
1: <laughs> well, I love that. Um, Hold You is definitely a standout. It seems the most, like boppy I guess like the poppiest leading number what was it like writing that track because it very much has that like um percussive buoyancy as like a Fleetwood Mac track or Estyheim on bass
0: yeah at the time I um I just kind of wrote the song on keyboard just with chords and then I brought the idea for the song to my band and um, my original bandmates just wrote those part, like the very intricate guitar and bass parts. They just played with it for a few days, just back and forth together. They were just messing around and they eventually came up with a very intricate part for the song. It's really cool. I love it.
1: <laughs> I bet lots of fun to play live as well.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's so fun to play live. It, yeah, it's, it's so fun to dance to.
1: to give a feeling of shifting at, with and embracing change and that these songs come from a turbulent time of your life when you were coming to self-love through multiple existential crises and shifts in perspective. Um, I, I want to know if you can elaborate on this because I really do love that sentiment and to me it, it really um, resonates with, I think, a lot of things that... I've reckoned with in the past, but also that idea that, you know, in life you kind of ebb and flow with with every day, and you take one at a time, and, and things happen, and you have to, I guess, not keep up with the Joneses, but keep, keep your eye on that prize that every day is different, and things are going to change, um, because... You ended up then elaborating that you feel very much like a shapeshifter with your music and you're always trying to embody a balance between that existential weight with an overflowing sense of love you feel in the world. And I guess instrumentally you can really hear that. There are these intense feelings of emotion that just absolutely burst out of you. But every song, again, is different from the last and there's this new I guess temperament that you've taken on with each can you can you elaborate a bit more on that
0: um elaborate more on the the coming to the sorry you said so much it was very beautiful
1: (laughs) um so the I guess quote Um, of you saying that you feel very much like a shapeshifter with your music and you were coming through a lot of tumultuous times and coming out on the other side in writing this album. Yeah. um, Yeah, I just had a really hard time
0: growing up. Um, um, I just was really troubled and really confused because I felt so out of place in the world and confused by society and just strange in my body. And I went through a crazy breakup. I was in love for a long time and then came out of this crazy breakup and had zero identity because it had been completely wiped by all of these experiences. And um, I just had to come to this um, kind of radical, space of self-love in order to survive and I just something about that like decision to choose myself and pull through um also began to like manifest um people in my life that treated me really well and that were really healthy to be around and that kind of uplifted me and celebrated my joy and my body and um my being so yeah i don't know i something about that change specifically has been really inspiring for this album and all of my writing um, because it was just the biggest shift um, in my life and it was really important for me to get to where i am now and be able to be so present and um, able to just like travel and do what i'm doing i think if i had tried to do this um, like seven years ago or five years ago, I I would not be doing as well as I am now. I I feel like a more capable and functional person because of um, just all of the light that has been in my life um, since I
1: chose myself. <laughs> yeah. I I love that. That's it, I think it's such an important important uh, sentiment to end on because I mean I. I think so many people have been there, have been lost yourself completely once upon a time to a person or to a circumstance that just seems to, I guess, play over in your head. But what is, I think, the most impressive thing to me about this record and maybe the note I want to leave on is how you are able to instill that sentiment in this album that you can pull through in this tornado and and find yourself and things... Work out, and I guess the best way that I am able to describe that is in the way someone feels. I I think a lot of people in listening to this album, it feels like this almost out of body technicolor uh, animation that just like rips out of your chest in this beautiful, wonderful, word vomity way where you're just feeling everything and anything before you suddenly jolt everybody back into reality and not only... Um, almost as if, like, you've just written everything in your diary at once and you've ripped the page out. Um, mm-hmm. You you give that sense of, I guess, stability at the end. And I think that speaks to what you were saying, that radical self-love and choosing yourself and finding yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and just, um, just deciding to be okay with feeling a full spectrum of emotion and just uh this was that's what the album is all about too is just um yeah just feeling everything and being present with it and crying when you have to cry and laughing when you want to laugh and dancing when you want to dance and just feeling it all
1: indigo thank you so much for your time today and speaking with me and unpacking this brilliant record of yours on For the Record for FBI. It's been an absolute pleasure and privilege. Hell yeah, thanks so much for having me. Kill me,
0: slowly, take me with you. Down to the garden where magnolias bloom. Baby, darling, devil